How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to the Training Camp Podcast. We did not have an episode last week. If you did see it, though, we had like a kind of mini episode, if you will. Uh, I will leave a link in the description to that. But basically, since we were gone, the reason for that was there was some really bad weather going on where I live. I live in Salt Lake City, Utah, and we were having hurricane-level speeds. So uh, we had a guest that was supposed to come on, and we had all the topics ready, our briefing and everything. And then just the weather made it, unfortunately, they were not able to come here. There were power outages, so it was we were just unable to do the show last week. So I did do a brand new segment that we will be doing every week. It's called Wallet Winners. We'll get into that later, but if you want to check that out, there will be a link. But other than that... Welcome back to Training Camp Podcast. Today uh, on the lineup, we've got the reaction to the Clippers. We've our also reaction to NFL Week 1, the Dallas Cowboys, the Buccaneers to Tom Brady, and uh, the Patriots to Bill Belichick, and then our wallet winners from last week. We're going to react to those, and then we've got our wallet winners for this week. So that's our show for today. Hope you guys stick around with me. Uh, first thing we're going to get into <laughs> happened last night. Um, so yeah, the Clippers... The clip the the Clippers lost. <laughs> um, I I don't get it. I I was on the phone with JP. He was an episode two of our podcast. Um, I was on the phone with him for like a half an hour. We were trying to wrap our heads around it. The Clippers are the deepest team in the league. Their bench is better than some teams' starting lineups. So they had that going for them. They have Finals MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, All Defensive Team. Kawhi Leonard. They have all-defensive player and uh, multi-time all-star Paul George. These are things I'm telling you as if you haven't already heard these from everyone else on the internet. But I don't get it. I really don't. And you can make the argument that Denver has uh, has the depth that the Clippers have. But they really... They do. Actually, hold on. Yeah, I was gonna say they don't, but they, they actually really do have that depth. The thing that they don't have is they don't have the superstars. Now, I'm not saying Jokic and Murray are not superstars. They they are. Their, their playoffs are really showing that. But they're not on the level of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard together. I'm saying combined. I think, honestly, I think Jamal Murray is now kind of putting himself above Paul George, and Jokic is already above Paul George. But neither of them are that, like, Kawhi player. So, you know, Paul George in an interview said that this wasn't a championship or bust season. I don't believe that because I'm pretty sure in previous interviews they've said that this is a championship level roster. Biggest issues with the Clippers though, chemistry, obviously. I mean, half the team didn't even want to be in the bubble after a certain point. Um, you know, you're off for a couple amount of months. It seemed like they didn't really even spend that much time virtually or with pe- with uh, each other in person. So there was that issue. And to me, one of the biggest issues, a lot of people are saying it's coaching. I don't I think coaching is an issue. I don't think it's the biggest. I think the biggest one is this team doesn't have a leader. Um, I mean, you can say, oh, well, Kawhi Leonard is the best player on their team, but is Kawhi Leonard really the leader of this team? I mean, think about that. He's not really a leader type. Uh, in San Antonio, he had Tim Duncan, who was the leader of that team, and if you don't think it was Tim Duncan, it was, you could have been Tony Parker. It was obviously Tim Duncan, though. Um, in uh, Toronto, he wasn't even a leader because the leader of that team wasn't a player. It was the head coach. Nick Nurse was kind of the leader of that team, and you know he was traded, so he wasn't he didn't have the expectation to be a leader because it's not like he signed there. But when he signed to the Clippers, people were expecting him to be a leader, but he's not the leader type. Um, and so does the leader then fall to Paul George? Paul George is not a leader either. Uh, does it fall to Lou Will, like the, their third best player? No. So they don't have a leader on that team. If you look at all the other teams in the NBA, I mean LeBron, he's the leader of the Lakers. You've got Curry, he's the leader 
of the Warriors. I mean, if we look at more recent teams, Portland, they have Damian Lillard. The Suns, who had a great run, they have uh, Devin Booker. I mean, every team has a leader. If you look at the, the other teams left in the playoffs, Denver, it's looking like Jamal's the leader of that team. The Heat, Jimmy Butler is obviously the leader of that, of that team. And if you go to Boston, I think Boston has a kind of a similar issue as the Clippers. It's not as bad, though. It seems like Jason Tatum is more the leader. They don't have that established leader yet, but it seems like it's either Jason Tatum or uh, Kemba Walker. But going back to the Clippers, they don't have that leader of that team. I think you could make the argument that it should be Doc Rivers, but there isn't that one player. I mean, Kawhi, we, we know Kawhi is a very quiet, very personal guy who... He keeps most of the things to himself. That's just that's kind of Kawhi's brand. But you know, if you want to win championships, I feel like you have to have a little bit of that alpha dog in you, and it doesn't seem like Kawhi has that. So, I mean, honestly, there are there are no excuses for the Clippers. They're they're up three to one um, with the my opinion the best roster in the NBA. Uh, game game five, they're up by fifteen in the third quarter. Game six, they're also up by fifteen in the third quarter. So there are multiple closeout opportunities through these games. But then in game seven, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George combined for twenty four points. I don't get that. And if you want to th throw in a third player, Kawhi, Paul George, and Lou Will combined for thirty one. Jamal Murray scored forty points. That's nine more points than three of the best players on the Clippers. I'm not even. I mean, Jokic points-wise didn't have a great impact, but he had a triple-double. I mean, that there are no excuses. I don't get it. You, you're letting Jokic go 16, 22, and 13. He got triple-double. I mean, 16 points is it's still a good amount of points, but it's not like Jokic levels where he was putting up like 30 points in, in previous games. But one player, one player of the Nuggets outscored your three best players. That's unacceptable. Um, I do think... That Doc, I love Doc Rivers as a coach personally. I think he's a, he's a great coach because he's a player's coach. He's been a player. He understands what it's like to be in that situation. But he is definitely on the hot seat. I don't think they should fire him. I think they should give him one more season. This is their first season together. I do think, I do think there is a sense of overreaction to the Clippers losing. It was their first season. But, I mean, maybe don't rest yourselves too much. I mean, the load management is seriously an issue. There was a report that came out that the Clippers felt like they were just drained by by the time the third quarter rolled around in game seven that's because they're so used to you know limiting their playing time because they do the load management thing if you don't load manage then you get used to playing so many games back to back to back to back to back that's probably one of the biggest reasons denver was able to overcome the clippers is because they're used to playing so many games in such a short time just due to the rate how you know back when pre-coronavirus the regular season they didn't have load management in denver so that's one of the biggest things for them too is just I, I, the Clippers, like I said, I do think there was a little bit of overreaction. It's their first season. You're not going to get your chemistry down to a hundred within a season. But the only reason I'm saying it's a little overreaction because I think it is fair all the criticism that the Clippers are getting. I mean, they're getting almost as almost as much criticism as the Warriors got when they blew their three-one lead. Um, but the reason they're getting all this criticism is because it was such a well-built team. You know, you didn't have a ball-dominant player. You had a, you had two great defensive players. You have two great scorers. You have a scorer that come off the bench. You have a defensive player that come off that. You, they were so well-balanced, and yet they weren't able to take advantage of that. And so do I think they deserve the criticism they're getting? Yes, 100%, because they also kind of set themselves up for this. They were talking they're talking shit to, like, Damian Lillard and all them. And Patrick Beverly, he's really got to shut his mouth sometimes. Like, he's a good defender, but... I mean, he acts like he's like a top 10 basketball player in the NBA with the way he talks to certain players. And it's like, dude, you're hyping your team up and setting them up for disaster. So 
I don't know. They they gave up a lot too. I mean, what was it like four to six draft picks, first rounders? Um, they gave up Shea Gilgis Alexander, yeah, Shea Gilgis Alexander, uh, who's going to be a great player moving forward. So they just gave up a lot. And if I don't buy that they weren't expecting to win championship, I think that they would have liked to win like two in four years. Uh, Kawhi's got three year contract. He's got a player option for his fourth. If the Clippers keep doing this, ex- except uh, expect. Kawhi to decline his player option. I think they only have Paul George for one or I think it's one more year because they got him via trade. Oh, no, three more years because he signed the contract in the offseason. Um, but they got him via trade and they gave up so much for him. So also, free agency's coming up. I don't know how they're going to be able to afford all these players coming back uh, with all their expiring contracts. These players are going to get offered much bigger contracts from other teams. And I mean, honestly, the Clippers also have to look out. The Warriors are coming back next year. Steph Curry's going to be healthy next year. Clay's going to be healthy next year. Um, the Nets on the other conference, they're getting Kawhi or Kawhi, they're getting KD and Kyrie back. So, I mean, if this, if there was a perfect season for the Clippers to win the championship, it was this season, but they threw it away. I don't, I don't understand. I mean, honestly, I really don't understand it. I was going to spend, I'm not going to lie to you guys. When I was making the briefing last night, I was like, all right, cool. We'll talk about the Eastern Conference Finals, the Western Conference Finals. Because I thought, I really did think the Clippers were going to pull it out. I thought they were going to get their shit together and be like, all right, cool, we really have to get this together. We have to win this game. We have so much riding on us right now. Um, And that was the thing. There was so much pressure on them and not the Nuggets. If the Nuggets win, good on the Nuggets. Like, holy crap, you upset the series. If the Nuggets lose, you know what? You pushed one of the best teams, if not the best team in the league, two seven games. Good on you. No one was expecting the uh, the Nuggets to get this far. So... I was gonna, I was gonna talk about the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference Finals, expecting the Clippers to win. But now it's just the Clippers. And if you want my just quick rundown of the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, I like Miami a lot. Miami took Game One, obviously. I think Miami possibly could win this game in seven. I really like Jimmy Butler and the way he leads that team. So bold prediction right now. Aim. I mean, I don't think LeBron's gonna let. I was texting JP this. I was like, I don't think LeBron is gonna let the. Nuggets go down three to one. If anything, he might let the Nuggets win two games. Just they don't go down three one. But you know what? Bold prediction. This is this is a hot take. I got a Heat Nuggets finals. That's not my official prediction. This is, that's my hot take. I could totally see that happening. But um, anyway, let's move off from the NBA. We're gonna go to NFL. Which hey, it's so nice. It's so nice to have football back, guys. I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but man, it was even like. The NFL's doing a great job recreating like crowd noise and stuff, so it felt like the NFL season was back. So really, really, really happy to have football back. Um, biggest things we're going to start with are our takeaways from week one. Number one, Baltimore. Baltimore's the real deal. <laughs> I know it was Cleveland, and that's just like such a Cleveland thing to do, which we could always talk about another time. But, man, did Baltimore look good. And, I mean, one of their biggest like concerns was... Mark Ingram had like 10 rushes, 29 yards. But then J.K. Dobbins came in and got two touchdowns. I know they're goal line touchdowns, but like J.K. Dobbins, fresh feet, young player. So like they can't rely on Mark Mark uh, Mark Ingram, then expect J.K. Dobbins to come in and fill that role. So Baltimore is going to be really scary. I do have, I have them going 14 and two still. It hasn't week one has not affected my prediction for them at all. Um, I still think they're going to be the two seed to the Chiefs one seed. They're both on the same record, but. Man, I mean, they've got that, I think it's week four, they play the Chiefs. That is going to be such a good game. I'm really looking forward to that game. Um, so, yeah, there's there's number one. Number two, I got heat for this from friends, random internet people. I got heat for this, but I'm sticking by it. 
The Cowboys are what we think they are. And not even what we, because y'all don't believe me, but they're what I think they are. And that's a team that on paper is 13 and 3, but in reality, they're going to go 8 and 8, and eight, 9 and 7. I mean, if you watch that Rams game, okay, look at me. Okay, this is this is for Nick. If Nick is watching this, if if this isn't if you're not Nick, then this is gonna make no sense. But Nick, Jalen Ramsey acted out a little bit. It was not a flagrant pass interference. Yes, Jalen Ramsey sold it. Okay, are you happy? He didn't believe this guy. One of my friends thinks that I'm a Cowboys hater, which I'm not. I'm just realistic about them. And what I just said is the truth. That was not an offensive pass interference. Jalen Ramsey did it. What a, I mean, he's been in the league for what, five years now. That's, that's kind of a veteran move where he's like, you know what? I got beat. He's kind of, you know, he was grabbing him a little bit. It wasn't interference, but he was grabbing him. I'm going to act like he's pushing off. He gets the call. But if you're a Cowboys fan, you cannot say, oh, we didn't get that call. And then immediately forget about the, the uh, roughing the passer that wasn't called on the Jared Goff interception. So you know what? You have a horrible pass interference. You have a missed call there. They even each other out. And you know what? I'm going to be completely honest. If Michael Gallup catches that ball, the Cowboys don't win that game. That game goes to overtime. And in my mind, the Rams win that game. I'm sorry. The Rams looked so much better than the Cowboys. I'm not saying like season long, even though they might win more games than the Cowboys do. But the Rams just, they looked like they had the momentum. Brand new stadium. They were, you know, in their final, finally like their own home field. Um, They looked good. And the Cowboys didn't really have an answer. And I don't want to hear any excuses from people who believe in the Cowboys for the season because you had an opportunity to tie that game. You were down on inside the 20. It was like fourth and three. And you decide, let's not kick the field goal. Even though we have a quarter, like half this quarter left, let's try and score a touchdown. And I'm going to play devil's advocate here. That was stupid. That was very stupid. But at the same time, let's say they pick that up and they do score a touchdown. Then everyone is praising the Cowboys. Let's be real. If, if the Cowboys pick up that fourth and three, and they score a touchdown and end up winning that game, that everyone's like, this is a new series for the Cowboys. Mike McCarthy is a risk taker. This, this, is that. So there is that. But the smart thing to do there is take your field goal and then hope your defense can stop Jared Goff and the Todd gurley list Los Angeles Rams. I mean, Malcolm Brown scored two touchdowns on you guys. And Malcolm Brown looked great. Malcolm Brown looked like a light version of Todd Gurley. That's what Malcolm Brown looked like. That's what the Cowboys defense... And speaking of Cowboys defense... You guys, Alden Smith is doing great. Like, he is he he is one of the best players on that defense right now. And so yeah, I the cow we're, we're gonna talk about the Cowboys a little bit more later in the show, but the Cowboys are exactly what we think. They're an eight and eight team, or they're a thirteen and three team that's gonna go eight and eight, nine and seven. Uh number three <laughs> Joe Burrow is great. He's he's a great quarterback. But Cincinnati's bad. And I'm not going to lie to you guys. I wasn't really a believer in Joe Burrow. I thought, you know, okay, he had a great season in college, but college doesn't always translate to the NFL. Um, and I think one of the biggest things about the NFL is it's the system you're put into. If you're put into a great system, like if you look at Josh Rosen, I still have a lot of hope for Josh Rosen. I think he got into a defensive head coach with the Cardinals when he was drafted. Then he got traded to a team that didn't want him in the Miami Dolphins because they were tanking and they were going to take quarterback anyway. So... I mean, the three best places I think he could have wound up were the Buccaneers where he is right now, which I think is honestly the perfect spot for him. I think Pittsburgh would be a great spot for him as well. And I think the other spot um, 
would have been the 49ers. I think those three would have been great. I know the 49ers don't have a veteran quarterback, but those are three good systems. Those are systems where Jimmy Garoppolo is able to go into the 49ers system. People call him like a top 15 quarterback. So I think those were the three possible best, and I think he landed in the best spot for him. But man, Joe Burrow, he looked great. And the Cincinnati Bengals are not doing him any favors. I had no hope for Joe Burrow. I thought he was a little overrated, but he looked great. I mean, he did. He he threw an he, he threw an interception. Or he fumbled, um, and it seemed like the game was going to be over. And then, nope. With that confidence, he marched his team down the field, almost scored the game-winning touchdown, got held to a field goal that should have gone in. And you know what? If I'm the kicker and I miss that field goal too, I am definitely faking a hamstring injury. Like, <laughs> come on. If I miss that, you are faking that. Um, but Cincinnati. I mean, if AJ Green's back to his full self and Joe Mixon can get can get himself going. Joe Burrow's going to have a good team um, in two or three years. I, I think they're still going to be one of the top five worst teams in the league. Uh, but I think it's going to help them out because they're going to be able to draft really good players. It's going to take a couple years to develop, though. Um, but Joe Burrow, he looked he looked great. He looked, he looked like a much more mature quarterback than I was expecting him to be. And I think if anyone can change that culture in Cincinnati, I think Joe Burrow can definitely be the start of it. Number four, Brady and the Buccaneers are going to take two or three weeks to mesh. And then they're going to be a killer team. Um, everyone right now, a lot of people are kind of on the same boat as me with this take. But a lot of people are also saying that Brady and the Buccaneers are going to be bad. I don't really understand why you would think that. It's been one week, but it is overreaction. So, because it's only been one week, we haven't heard, we haven't seen preseason or anything because of the whole coronavirus impact. But, I mean, new system... New weapons, new coach, new playbook, new everything. Finally adjusting to the actual speed of the game. It's going to take two or three weeks. I mean, that intercept, the first interception by Brady shows. I mean, he didn't really overthrow Mike Evans. It was just miscommunication. Give him two or three weeks. I mean, I think playing Carolina is great for the next week because it's a bad defense and they're going to be able to finally find out, you know, which running back they need and which wide receiver Brady looks most comfortable with. So it's going to take two or three weeks, but I still think that they're going to win 10 or more games easily. Um, and my fifth one. Washington's not going to be as bad as people think, and honestly, as bad as I thought. I thought Washington was going to be a bottom five level team. Uh, I thought they were <laughs> going to possibly draft another quarterback, which I think still is a possibility. But Ron Rivera, if he gets this team to seven wins maximum, then he deserves a coach of the year vote because that man at halftime, and you guys have heard this a million times, but that man at halftime was getting an IV because he's going through chemotherapy right now. But if he can will this team to seven wins, then oh my God, does he deserve coach of the year. I'm not saying that they're going to win seven games. I think that they can maybe win five to six. But Washington is not going to, I thought they were going to be a two or three win team. I think they can win at least four or five games. I don't think, I don't think they're going to be one of the bottom five teams. I think they're going to be more of a bottom 10 team. Um, but I mean, hey, right now they're number one in the NFC East. So Washington fans, <laughs> take your happiness right now while you can. Um, coming up in the next leg of the podcast, we are going to go more in depth about the Dallas Cowboys loss in week one. And then we are going to talk about the Brady Buccaneer experiment, as well as the Cam Newton, Bill Belichick interest experiment. So stick around for that. Welcome back to the Train Camp podcast. This is uh, segment number two. If you guys did miss it in the first segment, we talked about the reaction to the Western Conference semifinals with the Kawhi and the Clippers losing, as well as our uh, top five takeaways from the NFL week one. This leg, we will be talking, first of all, Dallas Cowboys. I kind of did go a little in depth about it in the uh, five reactions to Week One, but let's 
let's let's dive in a little bit deeper. So, like I said, people think I'm really harsh on Dallas, which, like, to be fair, I kind of am. But it's not even just I'm harsh. I'm just kind of I'm just honest with myself about them. Um, a lot of people see what Dallas is on paper and. They expect them to perform like that. And I think Dallas is one of the few teams that will not live up to their paper expectations. And I think one of the biggest reasons is Jerry Jones. Um, I mean, if you look at Sunday night, they played the, the the Dallas. If you would have told me that the Dallas Cowboys made a coaching change, like a head coaching change between last season and this season, I wouldn't have noticed at all. If you told me Jason Garrett was still the head coach, I would have expected it because that looked like the exact same Dallas Cowboy team. The only difference was they relied on Zeke a little bit more than last year. They ran the ball a little bit more. Um, but that looked like the exact same team from last year. The only difference being maybe Jason Garrett takes that field goal in the fourth quarter rather than going for it on fourth and three or whatever. Um, but I, I genuinely think, I think Jerry Jones runs that team and not as in like he owns it and he's the GM. I think he calls the shots. I think he tells McCarthy like, no, this is what we're going to do. This is the coaching scheme. This is what you're going to do. I think he, I don't get it. I really don't. This is a team that really should be competing for a Super Bowl every single year because they have the weapons, they have the talent, they have the O line, the running back, the halfback, the court or the the quarterback, the wide receivers. They they have the defense, but they they underperform. Um, I still have them possibly going eight and eight, nine and seven. Like I said in the last leg, I don't see. I just don't see a world where they win more than eleven games. I can maybe give them ten and six if they get their if they get their stuff together and kind of get a roll on. Um, I can see them going 10 and 6. But I mean, if you look at the upcoming games, they've got Atlanta, Seattle, Cleveland, the New York Giants and Arizona. They should they should beat Atlanta. They won't beat Seattle. They should beat Cleveland. They should beat New York Giants and they should beat Arizona. It wouldn't surprise me if Arizona beat them just because Arizona looks like a really good team right now. But if they don't go 4 and 1 after that series, then this is a team that is a, like 100% playing down its competition. I think that that Seattle game should be pretty competitive i think that should be a game that's for the most part high scoring and i think that's a game that could go down to a field goal win or it should go down to like a field goal win or you know win by one or two points but in reality seattle's probably gonna win by like six or more um depending on how the cowboys play next week but i mean yes dallas dallas got screwed by pass interference they did and like i said in the last leg Dallas also got away with a roughing the passer that led to an interception that should have been reversed, which if that gets reversed, the Rams probably go down and score a touchdown. So I don't want to hear that, oh, you the pass interference, because like I said in the last leg, you're probably going to score a field goal anyway. You're not going to score a touchdown. It's going to go to overtime, and the Rams are a better team. Um, I, I will give Dallas credit. Alden Smith looks great. I think he's going to be a great – Shannon Sharp said the same thing. Uh, I think he's going to be a challenger for a comeback player of the year. He's been out of the league for four or five years. He looks like he was in the league last year. He looked amazing. He was probably the best defensive player that um, the Cowboys had on their on the field on Sunday night. Another player was Diggs, the cornerback that they picked up, uh, Stephon Diggs' brother, I believe. He did great. He's he's not a fast receiver, but his tackling was great. His zone reads and his man reads were great. Um, so I think their defense definitely has some bright spots to it. Unfortunately, they did lose Leighton Van Der Esch. Um, and Blake Jarwin, which I think is a really, really big um, blow to them. But again, <laughs> that's a small rice amount, like that much amount of how many weapons they have, so offensively at least. So that's not going to be a reason why if they don't win the division or if they don't go far in the playoffs, 
that's the reason why. That's not going to affect them at all. Um, the, the, one of the things that not too many people are talking about is their own line. Their own line is getting old. They are. They lost a Hall of Famer in the offseason, too. Um, their tackles looked bad, like really bad. They, they were co- constantly under pressure. I know it's Aaron Donald. He's like the one of the fifth, five, five best players in the NFL. But at the same time, like there were other players that were able to get to the quarterback better. Um, Dak, he looked okay. Um, he didn't look like a forty-plus million dollar quarterback. He looked like a thirty to thirty-three million dollar quarterback. I mean, honestly, if you put if you put Jared Goff behind that Dallas offensive line, even right now that offensive line with Saquon and all those weapons, I. I believe you get maybe one or two more wins. And I'm not saying that he's a much better quarterback and that he's so much better than Dak, but they're in the same like category pay-wise. I mean, that is, Dak succeeds in that offense because of what he's surrounded with. Now, again, let's flip it. If you put Dak in the Rams system, they probably win nine or 10 games just because like that's a good system to be in. But if you put Dak in like the Giants system, you are not winning as many games as the Cowboys. Like there's, so yes, Dak looked like how he should. He looked like a quarterback that can complete 60% of his passes, maybe go a three to one touchdown interception ratio for a game, maybe two to one for the season and throw for between 200 and 310 yards. Like that's what you're kind of expecting from Dak. He looked like that. But I mean, if you want to be a contender, you need Dak to throw for like 250 plus almost every game. You need Zeke to run for 100 or more. And you need Amari Cooper to break open and get like a touchdown once every two games, or Michael Gallup. You, they need basically a touchdown every game. And you have three possible receivers that can get a, th- a thousand yard rece- uh, receiving yards this season with Ceedee Lamb, Michael Gallup, and Amari Cooper. I mean, those three are definitely. I mean, my first episode I talked about how Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, and DeAndre Hopkins could possibly get. I don't think that happens anymore, but I thought they could possibly get a thousand yards. Then there's a hundred percent chance that Ceedee Lamb. Michael Gallup and Amari can all get a thousand yards. They honestly should if this is the team that we see on paper. But again, I they're just not what they what they are on paper. Um, I still think there were some positive takeaways for Dallas from that game. They had zero takeovers or turnovers, which is a really good sign for them. Um, they were they were being a little more secure with the football. I think Dak worked on that in the offseason, which you which you, it showed. I mean, he looked a lot more secure with the ball. I mean, Dak isn't even a player that turns the ball over quite often. Um, he's pretty good awareness with the football and throwing interceptions and just, you know, in the pocket, his pocket presence is really, really good. He doesn't fumble too often. So they had no turnovers, which is a really, really good point for them. Uh, their wide receiver core is great. Like I said, uh, Zeke, Zeke looked really, really great. I mean, honestly, Zeke looked like the second best running back in the league right now, um, behind McCaffrey. And, you know, I mentioned Alden Smith. I think there's a possibility if he keeps playing like this, he could, he could be in the conversation with like a top 15 defensive player in the league. I mean, he he looked he looked great. He looked really, really good. I don't understand how you can look that good after not playing for five years. I mean, he must be really, really working um, on his body and his and his shape and his play style while he was out of the league. And so, you know, good on him. Hopefully he can keep himself disciplined. It sounds like he will. He's really taking everything seriously right now. So um, there are definitely positives to take out for the Cowboys but at the same time don't expect this team to win 13 games don't expect this team to win 12 games um don't expect them to win 11 I could see them going 10 and 6 but when you look at their division 
They should be – honestly, if Washington can beat Philadelphia, then Dallas should be able to beat them twice. Dallas should be able to beat Washington twice. And Dallas should be able to beat the Giants twice. This is this is a prime opportunity for the Cowboys to win every single game, every single divisional game this year. Like, I'm not even joking. That's six free wins. That's half of the wins you basically need to get into the playoffs. Like, if you want to get in the playoffs, usually you need like nine or ten. The NFC is really, really good this year, so you probably need 11. There you go. You have half of them right there. And then you have teams that they that they play like Cleveland, like Atlanta, like Arizona. Like, there are teams that they should be able to beat right there. If they if they, they win out their divisions and beat those three teams I just named, you go 9-7. and seven. That's what I'm expecting them to do, completely honest. I don't think they're going to win out their division. But that's like a situation where you should be able to easily pick up 11 wins. But it's the Cowboys, and they might underachieve, and I possibly think they will. I think they're going to win the division at this point. Um, the Eagles look bad, and the Giants look bad. <laughs> and Washington, even though I don't think they're going to be as bad as we think, they still look bad. Uh, they don't have an offensive identity. So if Dallas does not win the division this year, there are issues. And <laughs> like Jerry Jones needs to take a look in the mirror and be like, you know what? Maybe I, uh, maybe I let head coaches and uh, maybe hire an actual general manager and just let them do their job, and I'll just be the owner, you know? So that's what I have to say about the Dallas Cowboys for this week. Uh, next, we're going to move on to the Buccaneers. What everyone wants to talk to talk about, the Buccaneers and the Patriots, because this never gets old. We never gets old talking about Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and how when one of them scrunches up their underwear, it's a huge issue because the other one has it straightened or whatever. It's, oh. It is kind of getting old. But, you know, this is going to be a comparison that we're all going to talk about the entire years. You know, if the Bucks do better than the Patriots, oh, Brady's better. If the Patriots do better, oh, Belichick's better. It's just going to happen. And there were some definite takeaways. Um, the biggest takeaway, I kind of disrespected and forgot how good Bill Belichick is. <laughs> like, he's he's a really good coach. Um he wasn't early on in his career, but he is now, and he's learned. I mean, he's won six Super Bowls and been to eight for a reason. Um, I'm not saying they're going to win the division because they're not. I still think Buffalo, who looks tremendous, uh, I still think Buffalo's going to win that, that division. But I had, in my mind, I think I had the Pages winning like six games. I could see them winning seven. Um, I just didn't expect Cam Newton to fit into that system very well, but he's picked it up, and it looks like they're not really putting him into the system. It looks like they're building the system around him, and that's going to benefit him. I mean, he's a quarterback who he doesn't work in the old Patriots scheme. He's a running quarterback. They had a clear pocket presence quarterback before Tom Brady. Um, so it's good that they're building around it. And I think the biggest thing for for New England is that they're not going to be a playoff team, but they're going to be one of those teams that's going to ruin a potential playoff team's run. There's going to be a team that's going to hope to get that wild card, and the Patriots are going to beat them either early in the season or late in the season, and it's going to cost them that game. That's going to end up costing them the playoffs. I think they're going to be a very like upset team. Like, oh, they will, this team is going to go into the playoffs, and they have the Patriots last, last week on the schedule, and if they win this game, they're in. If they lose, they're out, and the Patriots are going to beat them because... The Patriots, like, they looked, they looked good. They didn't look like a division winner or a playoff team, but they looked way better than I was expecting. I still don't think that they're amazing. They don't have a wide receiver. They don't have a running back. Um, like, Sonny Michelle and James White. James White's mainly a receiving back. Sonny Michelle really couldn't get anything going. I mean, their best running back, technically, in that game was Cam Newton. <laughs> uh, and wide receiver-wise, Julian Edelman is by himself. Nikhil Harry is looking like a bust of a wide receiver. Um, again, it's like I kind of said it with the whole Josh Rose and Joe Burrow thing. It's all fit-based, like where you get drafted. And 
New England's never drafted wide receiver as well. If New England wants to have a good wide receiver core, they have to pick them up in free agency. Um, so, yeah, I just I don't think they have enough weapons to be as good of a team. Uh, I mean, Edelman, he was 5 for 57, 5 or 7 for 57 yards in that game. So, unless Edelman's going to be getting 1,500 receiving yards this, t- this year and uh, with, like, 17 reception touchdowns, there's no wide receiver in this group that's going to be able to carry this team to to a victory unless you know the Patriots make a trade for like an Allen Robinson. But again, we don't know if they're even going to give up any draft capital because if they are lower in the draft class, they're probably going to take a quarterback because they only signed Cam Newton to a one-year deal. So I don't know. Um, but if you look at certain teams that they have to play, who I forgot that they play these teams, but... They have to play the Buffalo Bills twice, obviously. Then they have to play the Chiefs, and then the Niners, and then the Ravens. And even though they didn't win, or they barely won, they have to play the Chargers, who have a good defense. All these teams' defenses are going to outmatch New England's offense because Cam Newton cannot beat all these teams by himself. I mean, honestly, in my mind, that's one, two, three, four, five, six losses right there off the bat. Like, I don't... The Chiefs have a great defensive line who's going to be able to stop that run and most likely contain to contain Cam Newton. The Ravens have a great secondary and great defense overall. We're going to be able to both contain Cam Newton, shut down the run game, shut down the pass game. The Chargers have two, maybe three of the best corners in the game right now who are going to be, and uh, they have a great defensive front. They're going to be able to stop the passing game. There's not going to be a running game. So good luck in that game. Buffalo has one of the best defenses in the league. They're not going to be able to do anything either. The Niners, by the time that the Patriots play the Niners, they get Richard Sherman back. So they're going to have their defense back to normal. So yeah, I don't think this team is going to win as many games as people are expecting right now just because they're 1-0. and uh, I mean, they did play Miami. Keep that in mind. They, they played the Dolphins in week one. So it's it was the Dolphins. And you already know that the Dolphins are going to beat them again one more in the seasons because that's just how it goes. So there's seven losses right there in my mind. Um, I do think that there will be a couple upsets. Like I, I could I could see the Patriots being the Chargers. I could see the Patriots taking one game on on Buffalo, but I do not see them being the Niners, the Chiefs, or the Ravens, just because of their offense, mainly their offense. And I mean their defense. Stephon Gilmore looked good, but their defense lost some players because they opted out. So yeah, they're not going to be able to keep up with those high high teams. Just wait until next season when they're back in Super Bowl contention. Anyway, um, uh, <laughs> going to the Buccaneers though. Um, I'm not gonna lie. Biggest thing for me that I took away from that game is unrelated from Tom Brady. Well, slightly, I guess it's the Buccaneers, but their defense, Tampa Bay's defense, they looked good. They really did. I mean, biggest thing to take away, obviously, they held Mike Evans, or Mike Evans, Mike Thomas, to what, three receptions for 17 yards? They held the number one yardage and reception leader from last season to three receptions for 17 yards. Yeah, and I mean, I think Emmanuel Sanders was the other receiving touchdown, and every other touchdown went to Kamara. So, Tampa, Tampa Bay's defense did a good job in a week one against one of the best offenses in the league. Yeah, they did a really, really good job. Um, and actually, Breeze had less than 200 yards. So, yeah, I think that this defense is very underrated compared to what people are expecting. And I mean, they play Carolina next week, so that defense is going to just find their groove and Good Lord, are they going to be scaring the next couple of weeks? Um, Brady, his stats made him look bad because obviously he picked six and two total picks. But like I said in the last leg, um, 
Brady, the first interception he threw was just miscommunication with Evans, which is going to happen when you move to a new team and a new system. And he was with the Patriots system for 20 years. Yeah, if you can move to a new system with new players and you're trying to kind of adapt and create new um, schemes, you're going to have some miscommunication the first couple of weeks. I think a great example of this too is like Ben Roethlisberger in week one. I mean, first quarter, he looked really rusty. New players, new system in a way. Uh, have to adapt to the speed of the game after being out for a year. So yeah, it's just, that's just going to happen. So the first interception, really people shouldn't talk about it as much as they are. It's an interception that shouldn't have happened. If you scratch it off, he had one pick. It was a pick six. Yeah, it was, it was a bad read. That was a, that was a rookie read, not going to lie. But um, I don't expect Tom Brady to make any kind of those, any more of those types of mistakes throughout the rest of the season, if I'm being completely honest. I, I could see Brady throwing less than 10 interceptions. I think I saw a stat that he hasn't thrown 12 or more interceptions since like 2004. So people that are saying that, oh, Jameis is back. No, <laughs> Jameis is not back. Brady's going to be fine. Uh, I think one of the biggest things for Brady is they haven't found the running back yet. And I have a feeling Fournette's going to win that running back job. Um, Fournette's just a better running back than Ronald Jones. Ronald Jones will probably get the first the next two weeks to kind of like prove himself. But I think Fournette's going to, again, just get into that get into that feeling and flow of the offense he's gonna find his own personal rhythm they're gonna use him i still think they're gonna use ronald jones in the passing game a little bit more than Fournette because if you have a great passing back in ronald jones and he then why would you fatigue leonard Fournette any more than you have to um i think another thing too is mike evans wasn't fully healthy in week one so he's gonna get healthier really i don't understand why people are overreacting to the buccaneers they're like oh they're not gonna be as good as we think it was week one against the nfc favorite to go to the super bowl it's it's gonna happen. It's one game. They play them again in what week seven. Expect in week seven when they play the Saints again for it to be a better game. And that was actually not even that bad of a game if we're being completely honest. I mean, if Tom Brady doesn't throw that interception, they likely get a touchdown or a field goal. Even if it's a field goal, it's still a closer game. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was what I think a ten point ended up being a ten point margin for the Saints to win by. Yeah, I think it was ten points. Expect the next game. Even if Tampa Bay loses, it'll be by three or less points. And I think that's going to be a great game to watch. Um, other takeaways from the game. Oh, obviously, I was talking about, you know, Tom Brady is going to have to find his own personal rhythm and, like, who he likes most in an offense. And I think Scotty Miller in the slot, he is going to be a big part of that offense. I If you... If you have fantasy football and you need a wide receiver, go pick up Scotty. I'm serious. He's going to be a game changer because he had like four receptions for like 80 yards in that game. He, he really, Brady loves the slots, but Julian Edelman was always so successful. Um, so, ex and you, if you have one player in Godwin and one player on Evans, one's going to get, get, get double teamed, and maybe even both of them get double teamed, they leave Scotty Evans wide open. You know, or O.J. Howard or Gronk. But the fact that now they have Scotty Evans, who's looking good. Or Scotty Miller, Scotty Evans. Um, like, Scotty Miller looked good. And he was getting thrown at a lot. It wasn't like, ah, okay, I guess Matt's against this guy. Let's play. No, like, it seemed like Tom Brady was actually, like, targeting him. So, expect a Scotty Miller breakout. This team's going to win 10 or more games. It's probably going to win 12 more games, to be honest. It just needs time to gel. So, anyway, we're going to hop into the third leg. 
and we're gonna talk about our wallet winners from last week and our wallet winners from next week. So Welcome back to the Training Camp Podcast. We're on our last leg. Previously, if you didn't miss it, we talked about the Dallas Cowboys, we talked about the Buccaneers, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and the Patriots, and we also talked about the reaction to week one of the NFL, as well as the Clippers, and there was kind of like a little snippet of my Eastern Conference Finals prediction. But for the last leg of the show, we're gonna be talking about our wallet winners. First, we're going to talk about my reaction to last week. So, last week, I had uh, the Seattle the Seattle spread. I had the Pittsburgh spread. Now, those two were my only wins of the week, not going to lie. Um, so, Seattle obviously covered by a lot. So, did Pittsburgh. Uh, we're going to talk about those ones first because those are my successful ones. Let's talk about Seattle. Russell Wilson was given the keys for his offense like I expected. He ran the offense like an MVP, he looks like an MVP, um, and their defense had a really great first half. Uh, I mean, that's a Falcons didn't look as bad as I kind of was expecting them to. Uh, they have two really good receivers. They have a tight end that wasn't really utilized in Hayden Hurst that'll probably get better throughout the season. And Todd Gurley looked a lot better than you know last season towards the end of the season. So Atlanta was actually a pretty good team, but Seattle covered by a lot. I thought the line was really small. Uh, Pittsburgh. Again, Ben came back, opened up the offense. He was sloppy in the first quarter, but you're out for a year. That's going to happen. Um, Pittsburgh eventually found their groove. That defense, though, I mean, they held Saquon Barkley to 16 rushes for six yards. They say defense wins championships, and if Pittsburgh can keep this up with their defense and Ben finds his groove, this is going to be a really, really scary team. Um, and also, Pittsburgh's wide receiver core looks really great. It looks like they have... Ben has trust in every single receiver right now. He threw the ball to everybody. The rookie, Chase Claypool, he trusted him. He threw him to outside, um, you know, near the out-of-bounds uh, passes, basically toe-touch passes. Um, so Ben's trusting his receivers. He threw that ball to Deontay Johnson, a second-year player who Ben hasn't played with before, 12 times. Uh, he gave the ball to Juju, who he trusts. He gave the ball to James Washington, who he's criticized in the past, um, but he trusted him in certain scenarios to catch the ball even in very very tight windows he threw the ball to ebron he threw it to vance mcdonald he even dumped it off to his running back a couple times there is the james connor injury but i mean they were able to do a great they were able to have a great running game without james connor in the first bit of that of that uh in, in that game i mean honestly i don't even know why i said first bit because they had a great running game overall but he still had about 114 yards off of 16 carries so Benny is going to fill that role they also have jalen samuels as the receiving back and they have their new kid out of Maryland who will probably, if Benny Snell starts doing bad, he'll fill in. But honestly, Benny Snell looked really good. And it would not surprise me if Benny Snell took that starting running back job. So, Pittsburgh did cover. Philadelphia and Washington. This is, I think Philadelphia had the exact same spread as Pittsburgh, which was minus five and a half. And Washington really went in and just just beat Philadelphia. Um, Wentz's second half was horrible. I wrote bad here. No, no, now that I think about it, it was horrible. He had a horrible second half. Um, there was, this was kind of in part to there was no run game by Philadelphia. I know obviously Miles Sanders was out. Boston Scott was out as well. Uh, he got injured in that game. But I mean, their offensive line helped them out in no way, shape, form, or idea. And Philadelphia has a pretty good offensive line. So that's either Philadelphia's offensive line has gotten really, really bad or the Washington defense is a lot better than we're all expecting. Philadelphia's defense was also really bad. I mean, Washington should have been like held to under 10 points maybe even under seven points terry mclaurin's like their only real star on that team right now um so yeah it, i don't understand how philadelphia's defense is that bad 
Um, and Washington's front seven was just completely elite. I think Washington just needs a running back that can like establish themselves. And I really like Gibson in the backfield. I think he's going to break out this, this season. Um, is one of the top running rookie running backs this year. So that's one of the reasons I think Washington will be a lot better than we're all expecting. But honestly, I'm not too mad about this pick. This is something that none of us could have seen. So that was probably my worst predicted pick. Not going to lie. I think that was my worst pick. So we, we learned from these. Uh, next one, Chicago and Detroit. I picked Detroit. Detroit had a uh, minus three, and I thought they would win by more. Now... I won this bet, okay? I don't care what anyone says. I won this bet. If DeAndre Swift makes that catch, then we're fine. Then, then we're fine. Then we're good. We're fine. We win the bet. But he dropped it. And honestly, Detroit looked great in the first half. Um, Matt, Matt Patricia, after one, one game, you've somehow put yourself on the hottest seat in the league right now. You're, like, tied for Matt Gase level. Uh... Yeah, you laid off the gas so hard in that second half. Honestly, you needed one touchdown, and that game would have been over with. I was t I was talking to Chip, who, if you guys don't know Chip, he's a good fr good friend, old friend of the channel, and he's a Chicago Bear fan. I was like, man, this sucks for you. And then, like three minutes later, look at the score, and it's and they're up. The Bears are up. I was like, wow. Um, I don't expect Trubisky to do this all season. I think Trubisky's playing for his job, so he's gonna be he's gonna play a lot better than I was expecting. And most people are expecting him to, but. Detroit laid off the gas on that one. So, yeah. Also, Chicago's defense, still great defense. There were no questions. If there were any questions about Chicago's defense, not there. They're pretty good. I know it was Detroit, but they're pretty good. And then my last pick from last week was the Carolina Las Vegas pick. Again, kind of, kind of won this, kind of won this. Uh, Matt Rule really screwed me over here by do calling, what was it, a fullback dive rather than giving it to the best running back in the league. So thanks for ruining my bet, Matt Rule. <laughs> um, another thing that we couldn't account for is Josh Jacobs had a great game. Hat trick, obviously, in touchdowns. Um, I think Carolina needs to... They need to rely on Christian McCaffrey a little bit more than they were, than they were in Game 1. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater actually had a really good game overall. He's finding receivers he likes, like Robbie Anderson. They aren't throwing DJ Moore as much right now, but I'm sure... Defenses are going to start covering on Robbie Anderson a little bit more, which is going to open up things for uh, DJ Moore. But they need to rely on Christian McCaffrey a little bit more, especially in that first half. They did not use Christian McCaffrey as much as they should have. Again, they don't have preseason, so they can't really adjust to the new speed of the game. But, I mean, after that first quarter, in the second quarter, they should have started using McCaffrey more, but they started using him more in the second half. So you've got the best running back in the league. you got to use him. you got to know when to use him. Uh, other things to take away from that game, <clears throat> Carolina's defense – was horrible. I mean, you allowed the Raiders to score 30 or more points. Yeah, and I'm not going to give the Raiders a, a pass here either because their defense was not better. They were both very bad defenses. Um, so if I'm going to be completely honest, looking back on last week's picks, Seattle, Pittsburgh were right. Um, Detroit. Detroit and Carolina were still really good picks. I think they still could have easily won those games and covered. I mean, obviously had Carolina outright odds, so there was no spread there. And Detroit, if they score a touchdown, uh, they do beat the minus two. It was minus two and a half that they had. So the only one that was really bad was Philadelphia. So I thought Philadelphia would be a lot better than they are. They do get Miles Sanders back um, possibly this week, most likely next week. But they also don't have really any good wide receivers in that wide receiver core. So I don't know what to expect from Philly. But honestly, in my mind, I went four and one. But for realistically, I went two and five. So 
not a not a great week, but honest week one, you live and you learn. I just spilled water all over myself. Um, <laughs> so now let's switch it up. Let's get into our week two wallet winners. And boy, oh boy, when I saw these spreads, I got really excited. I'm not lying. I already put my bets down. I've already put my five bets down. Um, oh, also, can we go back to last week real quick? Yeah. Um, I I had a like a six-team parlay last week. I put a dollar down just because I'm a college student. I have a lot of money. And uh, it was to win like a lot of money. I'm not going to disclose how much, but it was a 16 parlay. And just know that the Colts, I got that parlay right, and you were my safe you were my safe bet on that parlay, and you screwed me out of a good amount of money. So thanks for that. Thanks. Don't worry, Colts. You're on you're on my weekly winners or my wallet winners for this week. So just stick around. Anyway, uh, I said a vent about that. So wallet winners week two. When I saw these spreads, I got really happy, guys. I'm not gonna lie, I got really happy. Um, first one that stuck out to me: Kansas City is minus seven and a half against the Chargers. I know seven and a half is a lot, but like seven and a half is what Vegas is giving Pittsburgh to Denver, and I think that's more of like a, eh, that's a lot. But with the Chiefs, it's not enough. In my mind, this spread should be minus ten. Like, or minus 10 and a half, maybe even 11. Because Kansas City beat Houston by 14. And Houston has a better offense, even though not by much, just because of Deshaun Watson. Um, they have a better offense than the Chargers, in my mind, mainly because of Deshaun Watson. I don't think they have better weapons. I just think their quarterback is a much better fit, and not fit, but better leader than Tyrod Taylor. Um, the Chargers have a good defense, but Kansas City's O-line is going to be able to contain it. Um, I think Clyde Edwards-Alaric is still rushed for... 80 to 115 yards possibly in that margin. Still get probably get a touchdown. Um, and I think the biggest thing to take away from that Charger game was Tyrod looked really bad. He looked really bad. Um, I With how bad Tyrod looked, it wonders, it makes you wonder how bad Herbert looked in like camps. Because I mean I I, I had to think that they were gonna put in Herbert at some point in time in that Bengals game, because that's a game that the Chargers probably should have won by way more. So I do have Kansas City winning this game 31 to 17. Next one, Jacksonville against Tennessee. Jacksonville is plus 11 here. Did we watch the same week, Vegas? And that's like, this is an easy bet, but it scares me that you're giving them this many points. Plus 11 to Tennessee, who had to win a game-winning field goal after their kicker missed four to Denver. And you have Jacksonville plus 11? No, I don't know. Jacksonville was able to beat Indianapolis, who has like the number one O-line in the league. They have great weapons with T.Y. Hilton. Jonathan Taylor's coming in. Michael Pittman's coming in. Obviously, they lost their running back in Marlon Mack. But I mean, Doyle's great. And their defense is one of the top 10 defenses, probably top 12 defenses in the league right now. They have a great defense. Um, so you're going to give Jacksonville 11 here? Okay. Tennessee does not have the protection Indianapolis does for one. Um, even though they have a good defense, it's not, I do not think the Titans defense is as good as Indies, even though they did get Jadavian Clowney. Um, Minshew was unbelievable. He missed one pass. One. And he didn't throw for 200 yards. Yeah, I know. But he still, it was like 197. So round it up. And he had three touchdowns. Minshew really does not want the Jaguars to take Trevor Lawrence here. He's playing for his mind. He's playing out of his mind right now. Um, biggest thing for Tennessee was they were not able to finish drives with touchdowns. I think that's because Ryan Tannehill isn't like the star quarterback um, 
that the team needs to complete those drives. I think Ryan Tannehill is a good quarterback for their system. If they want Derrick Henry to be like the main player on that offense, but if you want to finish drives, you're going to need a kind of game manager quarterback, which Ryan Tannehill isn't. He's good for their system, but they're not going to win many games with him there. Um, I don't understand it. I don't understand this at all. I think I still have Tennessee winning this game. I wrote, I wrote 23 to 14, but I think this is going to be a 14 to 20 game. I think Tennessee wins it, but it would not surprise me. It would not surprise me at all. If Jacksonville upset Tennessee here. Um, but I am going to, I'm just going to take the spread plus 11. And I think the final score is going to be 20 to 14. Moving on. Uh, San Francisco is minus six and a half at New York. Now I did pick this before I found out about the Richard Sherman injury, but it doesn't really change too much in my mind. I think six and a half is kind of dangerous. Um, I do have San Francisco winning by 10 here, but I wouldn't surprise me if they only won by, by a touchdown just because I don't know. They lost to the, to the Cardinals last week. Either the Cardinals were really good or New York had a, is going to have a really bad season or not New York. Uh, San Francisco got a really bad season, but the Jets, they looked horrible against Buffalo and San Francisco has a better defense than Buffalo. So I am really sorry for Sam Darnold in this game. He is dude. If I'm you, I'm faking, I'm faking. What, what, what did he have last year? Uh, I don't remember what sickness he got, but I'm faking that again, because just for this game, just sit out. It's fine. You don't need, you don't need to see ghosts again. Just, just sit this game out. You're going to be fine. I don't, I don't see any way New York wins this. I mean, six and a half is obviously showing that they don't think they're going to win it. But San Francisco's offense is just going to shred New York's defense as well. New York's defense looked horrible. So uh, I have San Francisco winning this 24 to 14. Uh, second to last pick, we have the Rams at Philadelphia. This was actually a last minute pick by me because they have the Rams at minus one, which I do not think is enough. I think it should be more of a minus three, minus four. So yeah, I really like this line. Um, Philadelphia's O-line was horrible against Washington, and I think that's just also showing how good Washington's D-front is, but if you think Washington's D-front is good, have you met Aaron Donald? Because that man could take out the entire O-line by himself. So, yeah, Wentz, you might want to take Donald out and fake an injury here, <laughs> or just get one because you're injury prone. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, Philadelphia's O-line was horrible, and as of right now, they haven't named a starting running back yet. Uh, Boston Scott got injured in the last game, and Miles Sanders is injured, and he's questionable for this week, so they don't even know who they're going to start at running back yet. Um, so you're not going to be able to open up the pass game for Carson Wentz if you don't have a good running game. Philadelphia doesn't have any wide receivers also. I mean, I kind of touched on this in the last segment, but who who's their one-on-one -on -one receiver? I mean, Deshaun Jackson wasn't able to do anything. Dallas Goddard was able to produce, but probably because people are focusing more on Zach Ertz. Um, and Zach Ertz is very unhappy with the team right now. They're kind of in a chaotic situation right now, I'm not going to lie. Um, and the Rams play scheme, it's changing. It's a week-by-week -week basis. They're definitely planning their play. Their, their play calling scheme around what team they're playing. If you look at how they played last week against the Cowboys, it did not look like the last year's Los Angeles Rams. It looked like a brand new scheme, which is exactly what they should be doing with a changing offense. They had so many changes in the offseason. And honestly, I think even though Goff had an interception, I think he looks fine. I think he's going to throw for probably two or more touchdowns in this game. Would not surprise me if he threw for 300 yards just because Philadelphia's defense also looked really bad last week. I mean, they allowed 17 points to the Washington football team who have Dwayne Haskins as their starting quarterback. So, yeah, it would not surprise me if if Jared Goff had a great game, probably a sleeper in fantasy leagues. Um, so, yeah, but the combination of the defensive play by Los Angeles, I mean, Jalen Ramsey is going to lock up whatever receiver he plays against. doesn't matter. And the other receiver is just going to be a non-factor. 
and then the offensive play by the Rams. Uh, minus one doesn't make sense. I still have it relatively close, 28-24. But again, this is another game where it wouldn't surprise me if it was like 28-10. to 10. Like, seriously. But final prediction, 20-24. Last game, we always, or last pick, we always know my last pick, is the upset of the week. So, who's my upset of the week? A very surprising one. Uh, Minnesota's the underdog here at plus 135 to Indianapolis. Don't know why. Um, Minnesota, yeah, they got they got their ass handed to him last week. Yeah, to they got their ass handed by Aaron Rodgers, by Aaron Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones and Jared Alexander, like a great team. Do you think Indianapolis is that team? Philip Rivers is gonna have like Minnesota's defense looked bad, but Minnesota def- Minnesota has a pretty good defense. Not gonna lie, like. Minnesota has a top 10 defense, in my opinion, um, especially with that acquisition of, of uh, Yannick Ngakwe. They have a great safety in Harrison Smith. So, yeah, I I don't understand how they're the underdogs here. I think this is a great bet if you want to bet uh, merely odds rather than spreads. I think it would not surprise me if Rivers threw two interceptions or more, especially they're going to have to get Jonathan Taylor going in their offense with the Marlon Mack injury. So he's going to have to adjust to the new speed of the game, possibly being the starter. Um, T.Y. was a kind of a non-factor in the last game. They lost to the Jaguars, and Minnesota has great great uh, offensive talent. Dalvin Cook, Kirk Cousins plays down a competition, but, I mean, he's still a good quarterback. And uh, they have Adam Thielen went off last week. So, yeah, I don't understand how Minnesota is the underdog here. So I have Minnesota winning 27-20. to 20. So... There we go. Thank you guys for joining me on this episode of the podcast. If you guys have any questions, if you guys want me to talk about any certain topics or whatever, just drop it in the comments, drop a like, sub if you're new, and hey, if you even want to, maybe turn on the notification bell. That way, every time I upload, you know I upload it. So other than that, I just want to thank you guys for checking out the podcast, and I will see you guys in the next episode.